but Adam. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science. Up and Adam, science on FBI. Good morning, Dr. Alice Williamson. Good morning, Ruby. How you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you? I, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I've been enjoying the requests that the people have been texting in today. We're also talking about different chicken restaurants and now it's making me very hungry. No, I know. I think I need to write some of these down, actually. Yeah, I think I might just uh, get my producer to just type up a list and just hand it around the studio because it's there's some real fire-sounding uh, chicken burgers out there. I need to, uh, yeah, maybe do a little, like a bar crawl, but a chicken crawl. Yeah, I know. I wonder how many you could get round, though. Probably not very many. Yeah, it might have to be over a few days. <laughs> yeah, maybe just, yeah, a camping sort of thing. You sent me something, uh, the first topic that we want to talk about, um, and I just have to stop you at the first thing, the first little sentence. It says Google DeepMind. I don't even know what that is. Oh, so Google DeepMind is an artificial intelligence um, research centre or, you know, research group of people. And so they're trying to look at, ways that artificial intelligence could interact with society and what it could mean for society. And one of the things that they're particularly looking at and doing lots of research into, along with um, people who they collaborate with at different universities, is something called neural networks. Right. And these are computer simulations or a series of algorithms that are inspired by things that happen in human brains. So building up a kind of computer program based on some of the programming that's that's thought or that has been discovered to go on in the human brain. Right. Um, so Google DeepMind, I thought it was the name of like an AI or something like that, but it's it's a group of people Working on AI. Well, it's, it's like a, the project, the project name for this. So, they've cool. already worked on um, several, well, several kind of big, um, big important papers or discoveries. One of the things they've been looking at particularly is is gaming. So, they developed a, a program called AlphaGo that could um, play leading players of a, a Chinese game called Go um, and beat the masters. Um, and you know, since built things that could play chess and other types. Of games and beat you know the leading experts in these games in the world pretty quickly and learn how to play the game in incredibly um, quick amount of time you know in, in under a day be able to beat basically anyone so um, they've had you know a lot of uh, I think it's about six publications um, that have been in top journals like Nature from um, DeepMind and collaborators and there's a new one out that's uh, that's popped up this week which is pretty cool. What have they done now? So this um, this paper caught my attention because it's a paper that really links very strongly some areas of neuroscience with artificial intelligence. Right. So we'll, we'll go back to a Nobel Prize that was quite recent back in 2014 when a couple of Norwegian scientists, May Britt and Edward Moser, shared part of the Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology for discovering something called grid cells in in rats, in 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 animals, um, and understanding that grid cells are something that are used by um, both rats and mammalian systems to understand uh, where we are, to understand location. Yeah. So what they found is by looking at, by doing various experiments, but there's been some quite a few done with rats that if you um, if you look at the neurons firing in a in a rat's brain when they're at different positions. Um, you can actually map 
where the neurons fire and they form a regular grid that forms a hexagonal pattern. And these grid cells in conjunction with other neurons that help uh, us to find out where we are, that know something about place. Some, some neurons fire when we're in a certain place and sometimes neurons fire when our head is facing a certain direction, are thought to be the way in which we understand where we are, the way that the human brain and animal brains can navigate. So this is pretty cool. It's something that helps us to understand how our brain knows how to get us from A to B. Right. Because it's actually pretty complex when you think about it. How do we know where we are and how do we know where we're going? But what this team have done is they have actually used some algorithms based on some of these neurons, not the grid cells, right. but on the idea of knowing um, place and position and speed and direction. And they've built a simulation where... A, a kind of a simulated uh, system where they've had a look at how these how these um, how this programming how these algorithms would kind of work in in a program system and they found that without programming in this idea of grid cells this hexagonal pattern of grid cells emerged from the program what so by itself by itself and they did this a hundred <laughs> times they 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 used artificial intelligence it was programmed with some algorithms based on the way that that we navigate and out of a hundred times that they trained a system these grid cells these 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 similar kind of hexagonal patterns to the grid cells popped up in the program is it which just is pretty like, cool yeah so i was just gonna say are we just programming spatial awareness because i don't really understand why artificial artificial intelligence wouldn't just need a GPS put in them or something like that. Well, so that's a, that's a really good question. So artificial intelligence, I mean, you could use a GPS system, but this is this system based on the way that our brain understands, oh, yeah. well, the way that people's brains understand where they are and where they're going, is based on the way that our neuronal activity gives us this 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 way of understanding. So you could give an artificial intelligence, you could give a robot a form of uh, GPS, but in, in order to have intelligence, they need to be able to work out um, about about work out what it means. And and what this shows is this is actually showing a link between AI and neuroscience because of this emerging pattern, which could suggest that this you know this solution to the problem that's been worked out by the artificial intelligence to give these hexo hexagonal grid patterns, which is the same that we see in living uh, beings, it could mean that the human brain has worked out the best kind of mathematical solution to working out um, this, where we are in space and how to get around based on the way that our neurons work. So this is one suggestion that if you know if this if this pattern keeps on coming out of the AI, then it suggests quite an elegant solution and that there's some mirroring between this artificial intelligence and the way that we navigate. Wow. So this is pretty cool. It's definitely yeah, it's also the the reverse of uh how I expected this story to go. Like, whenever I think of AI, I'm like, oh, they just want to make the smartest and the, like, most kind of souped-up version of, like, a robot or an AI. So I always think, oh, yeah, slap a GPS in there. This person can go anywhere. But you want them to obviously think like a human being. Well, well or to think... To think intelligently so yeah. it could be it doesn't have to be like a human being but in this particular you know it 
our, our best kind of known form of intelligence is human beings. Yeah. You know, this is the, the highest form of intelligence on Earth. So basing the development of artificial intelligence on humans makes sense. But I guess the aim would be that it gets more intelligent, but it learns how to do this. And in the process, we learn something about ourselves. Well, it's it's... It's actually showing something that some people have been a little bit sceptical about, others have been really excited about in the past. There's always a bit of a debate about these things. But it's shown perhaps a way that artificial intelligence can help us to understand more about how the human brain works. Yeah. And that neuroscience and artificial intelligence could be used in conjunction to to enhance our understanding of each of these areas. Wow. Well, I'm surprised. That's really cool. In the middle of up... Up and Adam on Up For It <laughs> with Dr. Alice Williamson. We're talking science. Yeah, we're talking brains today, actually. I thought I'd bring us, you know, some artificial intelligence and also some kind of crazy research that I read about from Germany um, based on Neanderthal brains. Yeah, it says they're growing Neanderthal brains in a petri dish right now that's what's happening well this is a planned experiment and maybe brains is a little bit um a bit misleading they're growing parts of very small um kind of miniature neanderthal brains brain brain. organoids that are about the size of a lentil um and they're not um capable of thoughts or feelings so it's actually that they're looking at these blobs of tissue and seeing um how these blobs of tissue develop uh, and how the structural changes in neanderthal type brains might differ from human brains from modern human brains so are they like growing a neanderthal brain and then growing a mini human lentil brain and being like oh they look different yeah so that's what they that's what they are setting out to do at the moment and this has come from a team who are experts in genetics it's led by a, a professor who was the person who um, found the, the the genome, the Neanderthal genome, a few years back, and painstaking work to look at that, and and we found out from this research that all modern day humans who aren't African carry about one to four percent of Neanderthal DNA, which sounds like quite a small amount, but curiously, because we all have different bits of Neanderthal DNA, it means that it's actually about a third of the of the uh, Neanderthal genome that's around. It's just that we all have different bits of it. Ah. So what these researchers are aiming to do with this research is to try and understand um, what could be different about um, Neanderthal brains compared to modern day human brains. Even though we might have a little bit of Neanderthal in us. Yes, because we've got that 1% to 4% rather than being completely Neanderthal. But the way they're doing this is to completely change all of the genes that differ between modern humans and Neanderthals would take about 30,000 edits. So they're going for something a little bit um, a little bit easier, more, bigger, more reasonable. Yeah. They're going to edit um, three genes that are linked to neurological development. Um, and so what they're doing is they're taking some stem cells um, using the, the gene editing meti- me- method called CRISPR that we've talked about before to change three of these genes that are key to this neurological development. Then forcing these stem cells or encouraging them to, to, to become neurons by putting them in a really protein-rich environment. So that's something that's been 
that we know how to do. Get them heaps swole. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, and then um, these these neuron cells cluster, and then they're left to develop for nine months, and then the scientists can come along again and have a look at these clusters of cells, and they won't be very organised like the brain because they've not given look all. Like a brain. No, it's not going to look like a brain, but it's hoped that there'll be some clear structural differences, or the are certainly defined regions within this this tissue or this small lentil type brain um, that might give us some understanding of the way different ways in which the Neanderthal brain um, developed and the modern human brain developed and that that could be extrapolated into understanding the differences between us and why modern humans have grown to a huge population and done scary things like traveling across the oceans and and things that the neanderthals didn't do is that the sort of stuff that we're hoping to learn from it is just kind of like the advancement and well yeah yeah, well i think people you know trying to have been trying to understand for a while you know what was different between the neanderthals and modern humans and looking to the brain seems pretty sensible. We know that they had pretty big brains, Neanderthals, um, and that they were perhaps more cultured than we give them credit for because we know Neanderthal can be used as a bit of a derogatory term, but actually um, these the Neanderthals did have some forms of art and pretty they big brains. They had a brains. lot going on. Also, <laughs> they were out there, you know, they had a lot to discover. We, <laughs> we were just born into this world where everything's pretty much already there for us. Well, I don't know about that because the thing is... <laughs> That's one of the big differences is that we actually were brave enough about 100,000 years ago, oh, um, right, ancient yeah. humans, to, to conquer, to try and go onto the ocean, which, you know, without knowing about boats or where oceans headed or, you know, what was living in them, it was, pretty, it was a pretty crazy thing to do. You're and right. these kind of differences is, these kind of differences of thought and adventure are some of the things that researchers want to be able to understand and how our co- cognition and understanding might have differed because of our brain development. That's nuts. I uh, I obviously don't have a full knowledge of DNA because I assumed that we wouldn't be able to find Neanderthal DNA. Does that mean if we have it, does that mean we can have uh, clones of Neanderthals sometime in the near future? Well, the quick answer to that is that you can, so the, this team, of, they found four females from Europe who uh, lived tens of thousands of years ago and, and actually painstakingly looked into micro, um, milligrams or micrograms of, of bone, ground bone to look for DNA and right. found this in there. You need to, this needs to be done very carefully because you can find DNA um, contaminants on dust so you need to work wow. in suits it has to be completely sterile the environment has to have an air filter wow. so it's tricky to do but they managed to get enough dna to to um, find out the the genome the the second part of your question about neanderthal clones some <laughs> people some professors um particularly a famous guy at harvard have actually suggested that that perhaps um, a, a brave woman could be the surrogate for a Neanderthal child. But apart from the very many ethical implications... Would we need one? Um, of, ..of doing that and why we would do that, <laughs> um, it needs about 30,000 edits. Um, right. So it's, it's a, a tricky thing to do, actually, just for the sheer amount of time that it would take. And then don't get me started on the ethics of yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know if we need to bring a Neanderthal into this world... 
Yeah, so looking out, that sounds like a TV series or something like that. Yeah, it does. So, looking at this, you know, this small lentil type mass of of Mm. brain tissue is something that can be done to begin with. And people have already done experiments. This team have already done experiments by putting in some genetic modifications into into mice and into frogs' eggs to look at different things like pain perception or cranial development. So, taken together, maybe some of these insights can give us an idea about the differences between us. Cool. Well, Alice, I do have to wrap this up now, but thank you so much for coming in for Up and Adam today. It's a pleasure. I will see you next week. See you next week.